0: Hello, and welcome to episode number 20 of The Music Plays the Band. I'm your host, Rob Koritz of the Dark Star Orchestra. I hope you're all safe and well today. Well, today is kind of a milestone. I uh, read somewhere that only 1% of podcasts make it to their 20th episode, and uh, if that's true, uh, I'm feeling pretty good about that. So we're... uh We're still out there doing the weekend warrior thing. You know, it's been a ton of flying and some crazy travel, but I feel very fortunate that we've been able to keep the train rolling in any capacity this summer. But I must admit, I am certainly looking forward to the extended break. We're starting after a few more weekends. We were home this past weekend, and I had a few local gigs with some of my guests from previous episodes, which was really cool. Uh, Scott Cooper of the China Cats and Garrett Deloyan of Jerry's Middle Finger flew in from California, and we did a gig on Saturday night. And then on Tuesday, Scott and I had another gig with Brad Sarno of Sarno Music Solutions and Blue Jade Audio. Now, the three of us went to high school together, so it's always fun to be able to get back together and play some tunes. So all of that kept me busy, and along with the holiday in there, we stuck uh, another week in between this and our last episode. Plus, I wanted a little bit of extra time to get a really great guest for our 20th episode, and I am so happy to welcome Donna Jean Godshow McKay to the program today. Donna and I met almost 20 years ago now, and we've been friends ever since. I just, I love her to death, and was so happy she agreed to do this. She was the first member of The Dead to play with DSO, and now she's the first member to be on the podcast. Uh, Hopefully, like with the band, more of them will be sitting in here in the future. Also joining me on the show today is my bandmate Lisa Mackey, uh, to share how she got into this whole thing and her experiences performing and hanging out with Donna. So, as always, thank you for listening, and before we get to the first segment, I humbly ask you to support the podcast any way you can. There's the monthly Patreon subscription, which gives you exclusive bonus content, including outtakes, expanded interviews and segments, videos and stories from the road, community hang time with me, and much, much more. You can also make a one-time contribution through PayPal, and a portion of all proceeds goes to the Rex Foundation, the nonprofit group started by the Grateful Dead. You can find out about all of this and more at www.themusicplaystheband.net, and wherever you are listening to the podcast, please take the time to rate, like, and review it. Thanks for being here, now let's get right to it. The Black Music Moment is brought to you by The Clean Store, brandingandapparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs technology-driven solutions, and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes. The black music moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead, and today we honor Wilson Pickett. Wilson Pickett was born in Prattville, Alabama in 1941. Like many of the black blues and R&B singers, he started singing in the church choir at a very young age. Growing up with an extremely abusive mother, Pickett would often run away and eventually left to spend his teen years living with his father in Detroit. He honed his skill in the churches and on the streets of Detroit, eventually joining a national touring gospel group. After four years, he left to perform the more lucrative secular music and was soon signed to the Atlantic label. Initially, he found little success as a performer, but he did write a hit for the legendary Solomon Burke, who was Atlantic's biggest artist at the time. After many releases, he finally broke through with the song we are hearing today, In the Midnight Hour. He followed that hit with other songs that rose in the charts, many becoming timeless classics such as Mustang Sally, Land of a Thousand Dances, and Everybody Needs Somebody to Love. He even charted with a version of the often recorded Stagger Lee, a song later to be performed by the Grateful Dead. He continued to record into the 1980s, he charted 30 songs in the Billboard Top 100, four number ones on the R&B charts. He appeared in movies, he was nominated for five Grammys, and was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1991. He continued to perform until 2004, and passed away in 2006 at the age of 64. Like many of the black rhythm and blues artists of the time, the dead found their music infectious and were ready to put their own spin on it. They first played in the Midnight Hour in 1966, just one year after it was released. It showed up sporadically through 1970, and its simple chord structure just made it a perfect vehicle for jamming. Uh, They'd often take it into these lengthy jams before bringing it all back together with Pigpen taking out the final choruses, and it was often played as a show closer back in those days because it was just so big and powerful. They revived it in 1982 with Bob Weir singing it, and they played it a few times each year through 94, often as an opener or a closer. Uh, What what else can I say about the song? It's just a fun song. Uh, So here is the Wicked Wilson Pickett in the 1965 version in the Midnight Hour. Today's edition of There is a Grateful Dead cover band in every town is brought to you by the Authenticity Academy, offering you online courses and private coaching. If you're feeling stuck or confused about the direction your life is going in, or you've lost touch with your authentic self, the Authenticity Academy is here to help. www.authenticity.coach So today I'm actually talking with my bandmate, the lovely Miss Lisa Mackey. Lisa covers all of our Donna parts, and I must say she certainly has the pipes to pull it off. Uh, She's also lucky enough to sing with Donna whenever she joins us, and I thought it might be cool to get her perspective on Donna and her experiences performing with her. Okay, so I am here today with my friend, my bandmate, my bus companion, Lisa Mackey. Good morning, Miss Mackey. Good morning. How are you doing today? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? I'm all right, you know, hanging out at home. It's kind of nice that we don't have to work this weekend. It's it's Thursday, so normally we'd we'd be leaving town right now. Yes, we would. Um, So I want to start with the easy one. When did you first hear The Grateful Dead?
1: The year, I suppose you want. Yeah. I don't know. Uh,
0: 90? 90. So you didn't grow up on it at all. Do do you remember what you first heard? Was Donna a part of the first Grateful Dead that you heard?
1: No, she was not. Uh, The first, it was was a song I was learning uh, for a little act that we put together in Chicago, a trio, and uh, it was Rosalie McFall. And I was supposed to sing it. That was the first song, Rosalie McFall. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Do you, and then obviously you started listening to the Grateful Dead more and learning more about the music. And eventually you hear Donna for the first time. Yes. I did. What's your first impression?
1: Um, The first thing I heard her sing was the song that I learned for my um, audition for Dark Star. And it was uh, Bertha. And I just thought she had a beautiful voice. I remember friends of mine who seemed to know me better than I did thinking, come on, you've got to love this music. You're just going to love it. And they would keep trying to drag me off the shows. And um, I just thought she had a beautiful voice. They used to call me the Donna. That's what they would call me. And I didn't really know what they were talking about. And so when I heard Bertha, I could recognize some similarities in in our two voices. And so I learned Bertha. And then the second song that I had to learn was playing in the band. And I heard that scream that she did. And I couldn't, I knew I would not ever be able to do that. So I just kind of vocalized through it, you know, as you know, because there's no screaming here. I don't, I don't do that.
0: Only on the bus. Only on the bus. (laughs) So let's fast forward now to 2000, whatever it was, one, two, three, four. And we're playing in Alabama at that small little club. And we find out that Donna's going to come and sing with us. Yes. What does that do to you?
1: (laughs) I was a wreck because it was the first time that I would meet her. It would be the first time of actually meeting her. And then I had uh, to sing heart of me. It was in the set list, which is the most difficult song in my, in my little repertoire. Heart of me is very challenging for me to sing. And I just knew instinctively that it was a very difficult or a very powerful song for her. I didn't know why. And I, I just thought, Oh, I was actually really nervous. And I don't, generally get really nervous. I get excited and somewhat nervous, but I don't get like, I'm shaking to the point where it's going to affect, uh, nervous, but I, I pulled it off and she didn't roll her eyes or do anything awful. So, you know, I, it it was okay. And you know, she was one of these people when I, when I finally met her, I felt like I'd known her forever. So it was all good after that, but I was very nervous that day. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think we all I think we all were because that was the first member of the Grateful Dead to come play with us.
1: Yeah, it was yeah. you
0: know, and we were so young and we were just we were still in a tiny little club. Scott was with us. We probably were in vans still when that happened. And
1: yeah, it, I think so.
0: I think we were all probably nervous, but you had to be just on a completely different level than the rest I of I was
1: us. really terrified that I was gonna blow it or forget the words or just just blow it. So anyway.
0: So, you know? <laughs> so so now now it's some it's some 20 <laughs> years later from that first time. Yeah. She's she's joined us on stage countless yeah. times. Um how is that for you? What kind of emotions does it conjure up when she joins us?
1: Uh it's very exciting and humbling. Kind of uh in a special way because we have sung together and it just makes it it makes it extraordinarily uh I don't know, special and, and really uh, dear, it'll be a dear memory for my, the, you know, the, my days I'll think of her and thinking she, she will grab my hand and hold it or dance a little bit together. And she's just a very uh, wonderful person to me. And I don't know, it's a very special feeling. Very, very powerful. Gives me the chills to think, think about her and just it's- singing with her.
0: Is, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> is it harder because a lot of times she'll sing by herself with us and you'll, you'll stand off and yeah. she she always calls you though. Cause she always wants you to join her. Is there a different feeling watching her on the stage with us as opposed to singing side by side with her?
1: Yes. Because, <clears throat> you know, when I'm watching her, I don't have to focus on anything that I'm doing. So I can just, I can just watch her and she just has a special, she has that same spark that same energy all through any of the videos I've seen of her when she was younger, it just has carried, that spark has carried her in a sweetness uh, to her performances and her, and her you know, just her projection, just the way she presents the songs to the to the audience. It's a very sweet and uh, beautiful, uh, she's a be- very beautiful uh, soul. Uh, but when I'm up there with her, then I have to focus on what I'm doing so I don't, you know, think too much about what's going on with her. I can't, you know, horrifyingly, screw up. <laughs>
0: But then, like you said, she'll she'll grab your hand and she'll reel yeah. you into her little energy ball more of energy more. that's coming out.
1: Yeah, that makes me nervous then. That a, <laughs> really? You know, that really, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep.
0: Well, I, yeah. what I love when, when she's on with us and both of you, people don't see it because when when you guys aren't singing, you know, she'll turn around and have her back to the audience. But she's always during that time making eye contact with me and Dino and skip and whoever with just this smile that we don't, I, don't know, I guess I get to feel that energy from her, not nearly on the level you do singing next to her, but right. whenever she, you can just tell how happy she is to be playing this music <laughs> yeah. and, and, and being a part of it. And it's, it's so wonderful. And, it really and, is. and for you, just so the experience it must be getting to sing those songs for her and with her just must be incredible. <sighs>
1: It, it really is. It's, uh, it was quite, a, it's been quite an honor and just a great, uh, a great gift, you know, right. to be able to, uh, just kind of dropped in my lap. I'm just, you know, really, really lucky. So God bless right. her. I just love.
0: It. Right on. Well, thank you so much for sharing a little bit of that with everybody. You're I know, welcome. uh, I know everybody's going to appreciate hearing it and, uh, <laughs> and so I'm going to follow it up and I'm going to have Donna talk about you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That is my bandmate and dear friend, (laughs) Lisa Mackey. Thank you so much, Lisa.
1: Okay, Rob, love you.
0: Love you too, Darren. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. I hope you all enjoyed that, and I want to thank Lisa for doing that, because Lisa is the person in the band who probably likes doing interviews the absolute least. Uh, I know she's not a big fan of getting behind the mic and talking, so... Uh, it was pretty cool for her to do that for me so and for you all. So thank you very much, my friend Lisa. If you like what you're hearing today and would like to support the podcast, we have two different ways for you to do that. You can make a one-time contribution via PayPal or become a patron with a monthly subscription that includes expanded video versions of our segments, all of the outtakes that don't make it onto the podcast, community hang time, videos from home and on the road, including some old DSO footage, and much, much more. You can support the cause, learn more about the podcast and our sponsors, read the blog, or contact me through our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. And if you have the time, please like, rate, and review the podcast on whatever player you might use. Thank you for your continued support and for helping spread the word about the podcast. Our feature conversation is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. On Shakedown or online, go to Grateful Sweats for Subtle Dead Designs. Search Grateful Sweats on Etsy and see for yourself. Designs only other heads will get. When you're wearing the state of Tennessee with Jed and someone says nice shirt, you know they're on the bus. And that cap with a single finger in the air makes its point. You look great on tour with men's and ladies' tees and tanks, caps, pins, and clearance items as low as $5. Get them at www.etsy.com slash shop slash Grateful Sweats or click from our sponsors link on the, music plays the band.net. Or if you're still going to see some shows, go check them out in the parking lot. I was uh, at Dead & Company here in St. Louis just a few days ago and hanging out at his booth, and it looked great, and he's got some great stuff on sale right now. So check it out, Grateful Sweats. So I have to say again, I am so happy to have made it to 20 episodes. You know, I didn't really have a clue where this was going when we started, but uh, 20 is a big deal in my book, and I'm really excited to have a member of the Grateful Dead as my guest to commemorate it. Donna Jean Gotcho McKay was a member of the Grateful Dead from 1972 to 1979. And prior to that, she was a studio singer in her hometown of Muscle Shoals, Alabama, singing back up on some of the most well-known tunes in American music. And she backed up artists such as Percy Sledge, Neil Diamond, Elvis Presley, the list goes on and on. Um, you know, I don't want to talk too much here. Let's, let's just get right into this conversation
2: with Donna Jean.
0: Okay, so I am so happy to have here for my 20th episode, a very special guest, Donna Jean Godshow McKay. Hello, Donna. How are you?
3: Hi there, Rob Kort. It's long time no see.
0: I know. We haven't seen anybody lately. Everybody's been stuck at home.
3: I know it, and still <laughs> stuck for the most part.
0: So you're home down in Florence, Alabama, right across the river from Muscle Shoals. Um, exactly. How, you've, how have you been doing? How have you been spending this whole time?
3: Well, uh, mostly at home, but I don't think I've told you this, but I, I have really gotten into doing artwork on the computer. And so that has kept me really busy and being creative. And so I've just been having fun doing that and learning a lot. So I can't complain.
0: You never mentioned any of that. That's great. I'm so glad to hear that. And I do know that you have your family close by on both sides of you. That has to help.
3: I certainly do. And I'm really thankful for that.
0: Zion's just down the road one way and Kinsman's down the road the other way.
3: That's right. And uh, like I said, I can't complain about anything. I get to see my family without really having to to leave and go anywhere, not on a plane or even in a car. I I can walk to both of their homes. So it's a good thing.
0: So many people... already know your backstory coming up in the studios and Muscle Shoals and whatnot. But can, can you tell me a little bit about your musical upbringing, you know, as a child?
3: Well, I remember really being just wild about singing and what was on the radio when I was six years old. And so I really started singing to the radio then. And, you know, all of the the singers of the day, like Georgia Gibbs and Joe Stafford and Teresa Brewer, you know, those kind of uh, ladies who were having a big impact musically back in the 50s. And uh, so I would just listen to the radio and I would learn the words and the melody. And then when I learned the melody, then the song would come back on and I would start singing harmony parts. And so when I was six years old, I was singing harmony parts on the radio to whatever was playing at the time. It was just crazy. But I just could always hear it. I could always hear harmony.
0: Who were who were some of those influences? Who were some of the people you were listening to?
3: Well, like I said, there was Joe Stafford, K-Star, Teresa Brewer, uh, uh, Georgia Gibbs, Jody Grant, those were the ladies of the day who were on the radio. And so that's all I had to listen to and learn from at that time. But my interest grew in music uh, to the extent to where when I was 12 and then moved back here to Alabama, I wrote a song when I was 12, a love song. (laughs) About my boyfriend and i was in the seventh grade and uh <laughs> i actually sang it on tv on the talent contest and played the piano and i won the talent contest at age 12. wow so uh that started that but then at the same time all of these studios were starting to bud here in the muscle shows area And so that was just right up my alley and in my backyard, literally pretty much. And, uh, so I just started hanging out in the studio with who now are people that are world renowned, uh, in the music industry. And we just grew up together. And so it was like hanging out with my best friends and, uh, Obviously that led to recording demos and at Fame studio and other studios around. So uh, that was kind of the beginning. I just started singing dim on demos.
0: When when you're when you're in, in a studio scene there now in Muscle Shoals, I guess you're in your late teens and your early 20s, if I'm correct. Right. Is there and all of a sudden now Muscle Shoals is booming with the studios and you're in there. And you have Percy Sledge and Elvis and all these giant stars come into the studios. As 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 a singer there, are you in awe recording with them or is it just another day at the office for the professional studio singer?
3: Well, with the when a man loves a woman and the Percy Sledge thing, Percy was a, an orderly at the hospital here, you know, and so. You know, that wasn't a reason at the time, you know, to be starstruck. Right. You know, it was just I was learning how to sing and sing in the studio and sing harmony with other people. And uh, so that was that Elvis Presley's a whole nother thing. But he didn't <laughs> he, he didn't record in Muscle shells. We did this in Memphis.
0: That was in Memphis. OK.
3: Yeah. But yeah, it, that was an incredible experience, to say the least.
0: Is is the Grateful Dead even on your radar at this point? Do you even have you ever even heard of them at this point in your life?
3: Oh heavens, no. <laughs> oh no, no, no. <laughs> the Grateful Dead weren't even the Grateful Dead. That was back way even before their time.
0: <laughs> so what when did you record? What year did you record with Elvis?
3: In 69. Okay. And Percy was more like 66, something like that, if I remember correctly. I guess the Grateful Dead were around at that time. You're right. But I did but I had never heard of them.
0: So when is your first exposure to it? Do you remember?
3: To the Grateful Dead? Yeah. Uh my first exposure was it was right before I left to go to California. Uh, somebody had mentioned something about the music group, the Grateful Dead. And I said, oh my gosh, what a terrible name for a band. <laughs> you know, and I, I was just like horrified.
0: So so you heard the Grateful Dead just, just prior to going out there. And, and what's your impression? Uh, besides the name, which, oh my God, what a horrible name. But what's your impression of the music at that point?
3: <laughs> well, it so happened that, all of the people that I knew uh, when I got to San Francisco were into the Grateful Dead, and so I I was going, what you know, who who are these guys? And and I listened to something, and I I can't remember exactly what it was, and I said they don't even know how to play music, and I was I was just not impressed at all, and I said, Gosh, they must be good-looking or something. And so they showed me an album cover, and I said, "No, that's not it." <laughs> and <laughs> and then they made me go to a Grateful Dead concert, and uh, it changed my my life. I had never heard music played like that before, and they were absolutely on. It was at Winterland, of course, in San Francisco, and the Jefferson Airplane played, and the New Riders, and uh, Quicksilver. And I couldn't believe what the Grateful Dead did. I said, how, how did do they do that? And I was just mesmerized, and it was magical. And I remember turning to the person next to me, and I said, when I sing again, it's going to be with that band. Because when I came to California, it was not so much because I wanted another musical experience. I wanted a new adventure in my life. You know, I had been in the South and in uh, the Muscle Shoals area for all of my life, and I wanted to go to California. And so I just wanted a new adventure. And so that was my motivation for going out there. And then here in The Grateful Dead... I I thought when I sing again, it's going to be with that band, and I meant it. It just absolutely revolutionized the way I thought about music, the way I heard it, and the way I envisioned me being even a hopefully and prayerfully a part of that kind of sound. And uh, needless to say, uh. That's when I met Keith and, and we, the rest is history from there.
0: <laughs> so when that, that famous night, everybody knows about it, I guess it was at the Keystone when you went up to Jerry, was your intention that night to get both of you into the band or were you just trying to get Keith into the band or. Well,
3: especially get Keith in the band because I knew that Keith had the goods. I had, when I heard that guy play. I was already in love with him before I heard him play, and he didn't know I sang. It was the craziest thing. Had nothing to do really with music, other than we both liked The Grateful Dead, but I had never heard him play. And then when I finally did, I went, oh my gosh. And I had been in the music business long enough to know what was excellent and what was, you know, cuts above, and I knew that Keith was. And so when I went up to Jerry and said, Keith is, is going to be your next piano player. It was not that I was trying to make something out of thin air. It was I knew Keith had the good. And, uh, so it was mainly to get Keith in the band, although Jerry knew that, uh, that I, that I sang as well. So it was kind of a both and situation in that regard, but definitely for sure, getting people in that band.
0: Wow when so now you join, you get you get into the band, and I read somewhere, and I didn't know this, so you'll have to confirm it. Moving from a studio to a live band was literally your first show with the Grateful Dead was your first time in front of a live audience performing? Yes. That is crazy. I never knew that. I read that to just a day or two. I had no idea. That is nuts. What, what an adjustment. I mean, what do you remember from that night?
3: <laughs> well, you know, I had been so used to it. It was earphone mentality, headphones in the studio. Everything very produced and arranged and pristine in that regard. You know, just a controlled environment. Was how I had always participated in music, you know, uh, up till then. And then going on stage, it was like, it was another animal. It was like relearning everything that I knew about anything, <laughs> <laughs> literally. And uh, it was definitely an adjustment. And then not having earphones and then having to listen, uh, you know, just with that little, bit tiny speaker in front of me. With this huge sound behind me. It was tough. That was a tough gig, I have to say, because it was a struggle to hear myself all the time. And because it was such a struggle to hear myself, it made me sing unnaturally because you're pushing, trying to hear yourself be louder, but it's not your natural voice. And so, you know, that came back to haunt me for years and years about how I would sound because that was what I had to do to even hear anything.
0: Right. Can you imagine how much different it would have been with in-ear monitors if they had had those back then?
3: Oh, when I saw Lisa on stage (laughs) with those headphones on, I was almost jealous. It's like, golly. (laughs) (laughs) I had nothing. I had
0: nothing. Oh, my God. And they were so loud. Well, louder than us, for sure. I mean, we're not quiet, oh. but I can't even imagine the volume you dealt with on that stage.
3: Oh, and the wall of sound. I mean, goodness gracious. Even without the wall of sound, they were so loud, and which I loved. Right. But singing with it was a challenge. Let's put it that way.
0: Did you ever feel any pressure or any unease just being the only woman in the band?
3: No, I didn't. Uh, truthfully and the reason being that every thing that I had to do with music before that was always guys you know I was in the vocal group with the girls but even before I got into the group it was I was hanging out with those guys singing and, and music happening, happening around us. so I didn't feel weird or pressured or uh, I probably should have and I get asked that a lot, you know, did you feel minimized or did you feel this and feel bad about that time and that situation? I didn't, you know, perhaps I was in denial or something, but I just pressed on ahead. I wanted to sing with the Grateful Dead and by darn, I was going to do it. And uh, I just, to me, that it, it was not an option. I was
0: going to sing with that band, period. Right. And I mean, not on stage, but with the band, with the crew, I mean, there were some women in pretty prominent positions around them thinking of Betty and Candace. So, mm-hmm. you know, there were, it wasn't a completely male dominated area. We, did you spend time with the other ladies on, on with Betty and Candace on, on the road at all?
3: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were thrust together all the time uh, because, you know, we were involved in this huge, phenomenon called the grateful dead and we we hung out together and always got along together we were all good
0: let's talk let's talk a little bit about the harmonies and 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 actually the music and what was going on stage were you all uh were you all getting your individual parts where they needed to be and practicing and rehearsing your vocals or were you kind of just using your studio chops and and everything you learned growing up and figuring out where your harmonies worked? around Bobby and Jerry.
3: It was all of it put together and us figuring out what register we were going to be in within the song and what it called for. So, you know, there there was a lot that was just automatically understood about how the harmonies would go. And then we would kind of fine tune and do little, you know, little variations on things. But it was relatively straight ahead and how we approached it and uh but for me i have to say i was always used to thirds and fifths and the tonic and that kind of thing but the grateful dead were a different sounding band because they would go from part like they would go from one part uh in one half of the phrase and end up on the other part and another part of the phrase and so the parts were intermingled, and so a lot of times especially in the beginning I had a hard time figuring out what the melody was because there was so much crossover and not being able to (laughs) to tell okay uh This guy's singing this, this guy's singing this. Where's the melody in all of this? Which one is the melody? And so it took a little getting used to uh, to come out of, you know, my little box and how I had learned harmony and relating it to the Grateful Dead, which, which was good. I wouldn't take anything for all the training and experience that I had in Muscle Shells. And so I took that into the new dimension, may I say, of the Grateful Dead vocals. And it was fun. It was just fun working those parts out. Uh, was was there,
0: would, there, once you guys got your parts down, you know, during the composition time when you're figuring out how to perform them, after that, would did you guys rehearse your harmonies a lot or was it was just hit the stage and do it?
3: Well... That would be hard to answer because sometimes if we weren't sure and hadn't rehearsed it enough, we would rehearse it before uh, the gig, but that was a rare thing. We kind of had it down and, you know, the Grateful Dead, you just went on stage and did it, you know, whatever is happening is happening. Right. And so there was that atmosphere as well. And that reality within the Grateful Dead musical structure. So it was just, always an adventure so i got when i got to california more than i bargained for an adventure i wouldn't take anything in the world for it
0: it seems like some of the songs or a lot of the songs really. i was thinking about it the other night a lot of the songs that like really featured your voice prominently seem to be i'm I'm thinking of, of like playing in the band the music never stopped cassidy looks like rain those are all bobby tunes um did that come? Did that come to be because your yours and Bobby's voices just meshed together easier, or was there just just random that those songs that really featured you so prominently were Bobby tunes?
3: Well, I gosh, hmm, how can I answer that? I don't know that it was kind of a predetermined attitude about it, or that uh, Bobby and I sang more alike, or. What the deal was because I I sang with Jerry a lot too, right. but you're right those uh, songs were you know major ones uh, that Bobby and I just naturally sang together, and it would be also as well him being the writer that he would know that he wanted me to be singing on it in certain situations. So yeah, I don't know quite how to answer that question fully. <laughs>
0: no, it's great. Did you, did you have a favorite song to perform? <laughs> did you have a favorite oh, when you were out there that you loved to play? Don't
3: ask me that. Don't okay. Ask well,
0: me that. I told you we could just skip it and I'll edit it right out. No, I, no,
3: here, no, I, I say that because I get asked that a lot. Number one, but number two, my favorite song was whichever was my favorite song that night at that show because the music changed every night. Right. And something would be my favorite song one night, and then something would be my favorite song the next night. So that was part of the beauty and the magical.
0: Then I'm definitely not going to ask you if there were any songs that you could have done without. So let's just keep moving on. (laughs) when you started when when we brought in when you all brought in like heart of me and sunrise and songs that you're singing a lead on you know in 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 honest all honesty those songs musically speaking are a little bit of a departure from if there's such thing as a traditional grateful dead tune they're different you know not just because not just because it's a female lead um yeah in the moment when you when that's happening did you feel like those songs were well received by the fans
3: well, we didn't perform them that many times, uh, so I don't, I don't know how the audience really perceived that, but I knew that they were different, and I remember when I wrote Sunrise, which Jerry actually encouraged me to write a song for Terrapin Station for the album, and uh, he really pressed me to write a song for it. And so I came up with Sunrise, which they loved, but it was not traditional. Like you said, a traditional Grateful Dead sounding song. But um, that was what I wrote. And
0: um, I'm glad you did because I love to play that song. It's so much fun.
3: Good.
0: Thank so, you. It's actually it's a great song to play drums to because there's so much emotion and it's the dynamics. It goes up and down and there's a small section and a big section. It's just it it can yeah. it can be played with a lot of emotion. And I love playing songs like that. Well, thank you, Rob. You are certainly welcome. <laughs> and speaking, speaking of, of, of drums. You were there, you know, you were in the band when it's just Billy and you're in the band when it's Billy and Mickey. And I want to ask, besides the volume, how did that change the band from your perspective, playing with one drummer to two drummers?
3: Well, um, I really enjoyed it when Mickey came on board, because when I first heard the Grateful Dead and uh, was listening to some of their music before I got into the band, I really liked that sound. And so I was excited when Mickey came aboard. But there was nothing missing before Mickey got on board.
0: Right.
3: uh, Because Quartzman was just a monster. I mean, that guy, he, in his head and in his spirit, he was always positioned to go anywhere at any time. That's, That's jazz. I mean, that's a jazz mentality position to go anywhere at any time and kreutzman was a master at taking that concept and putting it into a rock and roll structure uh especially a rock and roll band structure and he was he's the king of it to this day really
0: um i get to go watch him play tonight of actually just by chance i'm going to see dead and company this evening Aww. i'm excited about that um you mentioned the jerry band a little while ago and i want to ask you is is performing, how different, what's the difference in performing with the Jerry band as opposed to the Grateful Dead for you?
3: Well, uh, number one, it was not as big a band. It wasn't as big a scene. It was a different animal than the Grateful Dead. And the sound was so much different. It was lighter and it was easier to kind of blend in with the band. Because it was just not as loud for me personally. Uh, But it was just a departure from the general sound of the Grateful Dead into the Garcia band, which Jerry loved, by the way. He loved that band. In fact, when I got to see the band in 1994, no, 1995, uh, before Jerry passed, and uh, I... It was in Birmingham and I came to a show and had breakfast with Jerry the next morning. And I said, What are you into now? What musically, you know, what what do you what are you enjoying doing? He said, I like my band. Yeah. And so he had a heart for both of those sides of him. He liked that kind of more R and B, kind of more rhythmic you know in the rhythm section a little more structured and well you know how the garcia band was it was more that way and the, the grateful dead was more experimental and kind of going anywhere at any time but those were the two arms musically of who jerry was right and he he loved them both but i that was the last thing he said to me about music was that he was really into his band
0: One of the things I really liked about the Jerry band was because the lineup would switch over the years, how those songs could, he could play the same song in 76 and 79 and 83, but with different musicians and how different the interpretation of the music might be. Sure. I love that.
3: Yeah. And this is another thing that was always so amazing to me is sometimes the rhythm section. Well, first of all, Jerry would kick it off, the tempo that he wanted the song to be in, and uh, and he would just wait and wait and wait until everything came in line for what he knew to be okay. Now we can start the song. And so that's why the intros were so long. Is Jerry was waiting until it until it clicked, until it hit that place that he wanted before he would start the song. And I remember people saying to me, the intro on uh, Mississippi Half Step was 20 minutes long. (laughs) 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 Or any name any song. Jerry would wait. He would patiently wait until everything lined up to click the way he wanted it to. And he didn't mind as long as it took, you know, he was going to take the time to get it right before he even started the song.
0: In your experience, was there ever times where you'd, he'd wait and wait and go and it never did really just get to the place he wanted it to be? Would you still, would he still go ahead and play the tune or do you ban? Yeah, but he it, wouldn't, or?
3: but he wouldn't be happy about it.
0: Right. <laughs> Right. And now, like recently, I know over the year, over the years, obviously you've sat in with us numerous times, which is such a treat for us, but you play, you go out and you play with Bobby and Rat Dog every once in a while. And even more recently, you played with Dead and Company on on the East coast a couple of years back. What's it, what's it like for you to be back up there on that big stage and singing those songs again, right next, next door to Bobby and looking over.
3: Oh my goodness. I love. it. I love playing with them and getting to be with them seeing them. And of course, how many decades later was it that that happened to where I was singing with them again for those five shows. And uh, it was, I treasure it. I just really, really treasure it. So there's Bobby and Mickey and Billy, you know, from the olden days to today's day. And, People still playing music, still loving it. And those songs still relevant today yes. as they were back then. And you guys do that too. Uh, yeah. Dark Star, you know, the, the songs are so flipping good. I mean, they, they outstand. you know, time, space, everything. They, they are just, dare I say, eternal
0: they are they've uh, they are i mean i i equate it to this now and i have a great example this weekend it's really turned into just like the real book and the jazz groups it's part of the great american songbook now and yes i played a gig this past weekend with two musicians i'd never met who flew in from california but everybody just like jazzers would all know take the a-train or stardust All these guys knew Bertha and the music never stopped. And we can get together and interpret them just like a jazz group would. It's part of the Great American Songbook now.
3: Well, and it should be. And uh, Robert Hunter is one of the best lyricists in the world. Uh, He's up there with with the greats. Uh, He wrote songs like nobody else did, like like Dylan. You know, nobody writes like Dylan. And nobody writes like Bob Hunter. And he was one of my favorite people anyway. I loved him so much. And he just, uh, he wrote a song in such a way that it would last forever because you couldn't pin it down. You couldn't pin it down to you're saying this or you're not saying this. he let it he had this magical way of writing that made the song infinite and personal to each and every person who heard the song. And that is something you can sit in in writing rooms with a bunch of writers and come up with clever songs and this and that forever and ever. And they come and go away. But Hunter's songs had that extra dimension that they're they are alive today. Is the day he wrote them, and it's just a beautiful thing.
0: Yes, it is. And speaking with songwriting, I know you write a lot, and like over over the past, I guess at least ten years, you could tell me better. You've done a lot of performing and a lot of recording with with our friend and bandmate Jeffrey Jeff Matson. And I had Jeff on the podcast a little while back and we talked briefly about it, but how did that relationship between you and Jeff come about?
3: Well, it was in 2005 and I was asked by the Zentrixters to come and sit in with them at gathering of the vibes. And, uh, and so I did that and just kind of fell in love with those guys. And I liked the way that they sounded and it just grew pretty much immediately into something that I didn't expect would happen, but it did. And uh, we just really hit it off both personally and musically to where Jeff and I started writing songs together. And of course that morphed into Donna Jean and the tricksters. And and Jeff and I wrote several songs together now and recorded them. So it's been it's been a, a thrill to get to know Jeff and really understand his deep connection with Garcia. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know why, and I, I just can't even approach going there right now in a short podcast. For instance, Jeff had a, a storage room you know rented uh storage space just for his cds
0: Uh, isn't it crazy
3: just for his cds he listened to so much music and different kinds of music
0: he's he's the musical encyclopedia on the bus he knows every artist in every genre and probably owns some recording from each of them
3: and that's the way Garcia was, too. He listened to everything all the time. And so that was a very common thing that Jeff naturally right. had with Garcia. Uh, he, he didn't learn to do that from Garcia. He was just already there. Right. They just had that in common.
0: And And you guys just re-recorded and released something together again, didn't you? Just real recently. <laughs>
3: Yes, we did, and it was a song that we did originally with Donna Jean and the Tricksters back in 2007. I, I think that I think it was released, called "Shelter," uh, which uh, Jeff and I wrote. And, and um, even at the time, I, I wrote the lyrics to the song and the melody, and Jeff wrote the chord structure. But even at the time, the lyrics to the song were very. Prevalent to me in that it was something that was going on in the world, happening in the world, that just struck me so deeply. I had to write a song about it. And uh, if you listen to the lyrics, you'll you'll understand that. But during this pandemic and being here and no traveling and no this and no that, you know, when we first started going through this mess we have this studio here in Muscle Shoals called the Nuthouse and uh, didn't have to get on a plane, didn't have to do anything except go across the O'Neill Bridge from Florence to Mussel Shoals. <laughs> and, and David and I, uh, not David, Jeff and I had talked for years about redoing, redoing the vocals and just some of the things in shelter that we didn't feel that came off the way that we wanted them to come off. And especially the vote, the background vocals. And Jeff and I had been talking for years. We would really like to do that, to redo those background vocals. And so I talked to Jeff and I said, I want to go in the studio and do this, again, uh, do these vocals. And Jeff was all about it. You know, he's always been all about that. Right. And so, I got the girls here who do all of the vocal work or most of the vocal work on anything that's recorded in Muscle shells, three girls. And I got them to redo the background vocals on the choruses, and they just kicked butt like all over the place. They just nailed it, and, and they nailed it to the degree and took it up to this other place, you know, I started talking to Jeff and my husband, David McKay, who's also a really fine bass player. And I said, you know what? I want to redo the rhythm section. (laughs) 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 And have have the bass and drums really make this very tribal and just stronger. to match what the vocalists had done on the background vocals. And so we did that and they just, they nailed it. And so it's a completely different song than it was on the Donna Jean and the Tricksters album. So we re-released Shelter, the Muscle Shells remix.
0: And I'm sure you guys will get on something again as soon as you can and keep going. And that's one thing that Jeff loves is writing.
3: Well, we do really well together. And uh, uh, I enjoy writing with him and it, it's just been so much fun. And so we still talk about it. So we'll see what the future holds. Uh,
0: in, 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 in this episode, before you before this segment that people are hearing right now, I had a I had Lisa on um, to talk for a few minutes and she mentioned and I, I forgot. I mean, I knew I remember the first time we all met was way back in 2000, whatever it was. 2002 2003 whenever when we came to birmingham and played and you came out to the show but i yeah. had for i had forgotten that lisa had to sing sunrise that night just by chance yes and she was talking, <laughs> she was talking about how nervous she was At oh my god i'm singing this song which is kind of new to me to begin with and now i'm singing it in front of donna what's it like for you um to to watch her sing those tunes And what's it like for you to share the stage together when you and Lisa get to do it together?
3: First of all, I love Lisa. We have become, over the years, really, really good friends. And I think she's great. And uh, that night, I don't know if you remember this, but I laughed so hard because when I heard you guys, and I had never heard Dark Star Orchestra. Right. I had just barely heard that you guys were a band at that time.
0: Right. This had to be in like 2002, I think, maybe 2001, even. I don't remember.
3: And I was out in the audience when you guys were doing the sound check. And I saw uh, Rob's, uh, Rob Eaton, Rob's uh, Bobby thing and even the steps that he took on stage and he would jump back and this kind of stuff. And I laughed so hard, but I was so struck that you guys sounded so much like the Grateful Dead. I was amazed. And uh so I'm you know that I'm a fan of Dark Star Orchestra. And uh and I love singing with you guys. But hearing Lisa do that was just. Thrilling to me. She may have been nervous doing it, but it was thrilling to me to have, you know, her singing my song. It was just amazing. And she did great.
0: She belts it, man. She puts that song out there. So much emotion and so much power. Again, I told you earlier, I love playing that song. And part of it is because of Lisa and her voice. She has so much. She's got power, man. She's just got pipes, and it's it's. It, yes, she does. Yes, she does. What What's it like when the two of you are out there standing next to each other and singing together?
3: It is funner than fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's
2: what she said.
3: <laughs> it is funner than fun. We have so much fun together, and we can hardly hardly hide our glee at being out there together singing. So. Uh, my hat's off to Lisa. I love her, and she's great. She's ah. just great.
0: Well, I I can't thank you enough for doing this. And 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 before I let you go, I do this with every one of my guests. It's just a quick lightning round. It's going to be a little different, actually asking some of these questions to someone who is a member of the Grateful Dead as opposed to a fan. But if you don't mind. Oh boy. If it's some, of them, the rest of them will be easy. Just a couple will be <laughs> interesting. Um, your first, your first Grateful Dead show.
3: Oh, well, I don't remember the date, but I do remember it was at Winterland in San Francisco, and like I told you before, the Grateful Dead headlined, and then uh, 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 the Airplane and Quicksilver and the New Riders.
0: Which so, was this in '70 or '71? Do you se- know? Oh,
3: '70. '70. It was the first year that I went to California.
0: Gotcha. Do you have a favorite Grateful Dead show? <laughs> no. Okay. We will just move. I told you, I told you some of this were gonna be hard. We're just gonna move on past that one. Um, do you have do you have a favorite Grateful Dead album? Oh boy, I have
3: I have probably favorite songs on each and every album.
0: Fair enough. So that's my answer. Okay, here's one. You're on that desert island, not not Grateful Dad. The favorite album, your album of all time, that you would take with you if it was the only one you could ever listen to again.
3: Oh boy, Rob Every, you, everybody. You hates are this. mean. I'm
0: you are sorry, mean. Bro, but it's so much fun.
3: Mean and hateful. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm so on the spot right now that you just
0: Okay, how about this? I'll ask you the easy ones, the ones you don't have to think about. Well, maybe you do. What was your first job?
3: My very first job? Yeah. Okay. I can answer that one. All
0: right. Jackpot, ladies and gentlemen.
3: I was a long-distance telephone operator. While I was doing sessions.
0: Wow. Was that like the kind with the punch board with the cables moving from hole to hold? Yes,
3: it was, my dear. (laughs) And when, and when Area codes just came out, and uh, so I would answer a call. Well, the co—well, uh, uh, operator, the code area is people didn't even know how to say it. The area code—it was so new. Anyway, yes, I was a long-distance telephone operator, wow. and during recording sessions.
0: That's crazy. What's your favorite color?
3: Wow, my favorite color—I think green is I my favorite.
0: I didn't think you're gonna to have to think about this one. sorry if i if I challenged you there. What?
3: <laughs> yeah. About What's... my favorite color?
0: Right. <laughs> Green. Well I
3: like I like all the colors.
0: <laughs> What's your favorite venue to play? Red rocks. What's the best city for a day off?
3: Golly. For a day off. We didn't have too
0: many. You just You guys, just you guys are playing um, 180 shows a day. Days off were just for sleeping. I'm sure.
3: But well, I was like New York. I always really like New York. You know, I was a California girl at that time, and New York was or Boston. Um, yeah, I, I would have to say New York because it was so far from California. Right. In every way
0: what was your first car
3: my my first car my first car that i bought yeah okay well i had family cars and we had two or three cars and so i won't even go into those but okay you're not this is terrible but it was a bmw it was what A BMW.
0: That's okay. It's not terrible. (laughs) And So I'll take it to then, what's your current car? What are you driving now? (laughs) It's not a BMW, is it?
3: No, it isn't. (laughs) But I love my Honda Accord. I love it. And then we have a Ford Flex that is just one. uh, People haven't even heard of a Ford Flex, but they are great cars.
0: Just beautiful. Is that the electric car?
3: No, no. But it's like riding in a limo. It's just nice. so comfy.
0: Uh, book you are reading right now?
3: Book that I'm reading. I'm not reading a book right now. I'm mostly on the computer.
0: Gotcha. My, my computer stuff. And what is the one thing you are looking most forward to when this craziness, this madness is over? Everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Anything but being at home? <laughs>
3: Going somewhere, right. <laughs> uh, going to California to see my relatives and friends and uh, going to New York to see Jeff and Randy and
0: right. all
3: my friends up there uh, going, going somewhere.
0: I hear you. Well, I sure hope we get to see you very soon because we miss you so much.
3: Well, thank you. I miss you guys too. And I've always had so much fun singing with Dark Darkstore Orchestra. And I have to say that that you and Dino just you you guys don't suck at all.
0: <laughs>
2: There's our <laughs> official new review. You guys don't suck at all.
3: No, you're really, really good. You're just on the on the spot. Oh, thank but you. But so before we go, I want to say that. Uh, we've talked a lot about sh- uh, shelter and that uh, uh, Jeff and I wrote it together. But you can go here a little bit, you know, how they give you a little tease of a song if you, if you go to the website. But there is a site that is Donna Jean and the Tricksters dot here now, H-E-A-R here, here now dot com.
0: And folks, if you go to my website, I'm going to put up a link right there on the website so you can get there and check out what Donna and Jeff have going on. And uh, we'll make sure we get the word out on that for you, DJ, because I'm sure it's so good. Well,
3: I have loved this time with you, Rob. It's just been really great and good
0: to see you, honey. You too, darling. Thank you so much, everybody. That is my friend. And I'm so honored to have her here today. Donna Jean Godshow McKay. Take care and tell David hello for me.
3: I shall. Talk to you again
0: soon. Oh, that was so much fun. I That was just great. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you did, too. And I want to thank Donna Jean for being here today and also Lisa Mackie. And I'd like to thank my sponsors, Sarno Music Solutions and Blue Jade Audio, The Clean Store, The Authenticity Academy, and Grateful Sweats. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the cause, please consider a monthly Patreon subscription that offers some great bonus content every week. Or you can show your love with a one-time contribution. And please remember that a portion of your contribution will go to the Rex Foundation. Get info about this and everything related to the podcast at our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. Anything you can do to help is much appreciated as we try and keep the show rolling along. The Music Plays the Band is produced by myself and the production and songwriting team Brothers Lazaroff here in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find out more about them at www. Dot the opening and segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner, Dino English. I will be back in two weeks with episode number 21. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please stay vigilant. Right now, we don't know what direction this is headed, but it doesn't look good. And we really want to be able to play indoors this fall and keep the train rolling. And uh, frankly, keep making a living. So... Please, think about everybody, not just yourselves. Take care of yourselves and everyone around you. Thanks for being here.